We're going to continue our conversation with Jeremy Becker as we dive into the stigmas that surround working with brokers, what's true and what's not. Hello, I'm Andrew Winkler, and this is Driven Too Far, The Truth About Trucking, a podcast that helps over-the-road truck drivers balance career and family. Jeremy, there's a, a, a term I'm going to throw at you, and I'd like to have an understanding of how Kirsch handles it, but one of the issues in the industry when I think about the small operator is I, I see them out there playing the load boards, and it's kind of a one-and-done. Uh, it's really transactional type thing, and I'm curious how Kirsch looks at that. Do you have a lot of one and dones, or do you do you try to build those relationships with the carriers? That's a really good question. So we have 100% straight away from transactional business. It's still there, and by way of doing a good job for our customers comes the transactional business. For example, we are not an LTL company, but the relationships we have with some of our customers you know, maybe 10, 12,000 loads in for the year, they'll come to us and say, we have this small parcel, small piece of business, small truckload shipment that we need moved. We've we've reached out to all our LTL providers and they can't do it. Can you guys do it? And let's be real honest, we're gonna probably put a truckload rate on it, but that's more so the example of what our transactional business is. Got it. Or yesterday's business that didn't get covered. Maybe for a customer that we've worked for a long time and they've, they're like, here's your chance. That's a transactional piece of business for us. But to answer your question, our our business is purely developed. It's We're, we're fighting through every our annual RFP, national truckload bid anymore just as you are with your customers. And therefore, we're worried about just making sure that we can cover all the freight every day that we're awarded. After I've hauled my first load for Kirsch, can I expect additional phone calls for you or is it up to me as the small carrier, the the independent driver to continually contact Kirsch to see or do you have a system behind the scenes where how do you keep track of your carriers once you've brought them on board? That is literally a million dollar question, maybe $10 million <laughs> question. So we welcome all our carriers to call us, of course, always. I, I wish more of our carriers would call us, call our folks that have given the, them those particular loads in the past. But we are taking note and we actually have a rating system in, in our software that we're rating those particular carriers. If there's no craziness about the load and they picked up and delivered on time and did a really good job including their communication then we're ranking them really high therefore they sit really high and so when capacity is really tight at a brokerage the first folks that we're going to reach out to are those folks that rank really high on a on a five-star basis and so to answer your question it's a little of both i mean we have carriers that call in all the time Unfortunately, we don't have freight in Pocatello, Idaho, that gets them directly back to El Paso, Texas, or what have you. Right. But we also have a lot of freight, and then it's just the it's the it's the song and dance, or the it's the it's the uh, discussion of how they get the rate that they need to continually do that for us. And uh, something that really that hits me hard and I get really passionate about is that when we take part in a RFP, 
we're reaching out to some of our best carriers and we're how much capacity can you give to those particular lanes what's the rate need to be and what really hurts is when we go back to the customer and the customer says that rate's too high and then we've left a carrier on the side and we can't give them any business and not only that but we also lose or they lose faith in us because we couldn't get them the business that we reached out to them to get rate capacity etc and one thing that we're trying to do every day is that we're trying to get that carrier back and and exposing them to more business and it's really difficult because right now rates are really really low right. i think in, oh, yeah. you know amongst the industry and so we're going to bat for these these carriers trying to get as much as we can but the customers are really not buying in i mean it's a shipper it's a shipper based side of the business right now it's, it's their market you're right. right and so we're we're enduring that ebb and flow but one thing that we really really care to do is make sure that because they lost out on that rfp that we use them to get a rate and their capacity is find them another one that's of similarity to try to keep them within our wheelhouse and keep them within the relationship of doing business. So one of the purposes of this podcast when I started it was kind of to pull back the curtains, if you will, and give drivers a peek of what's happening behind the scenes, uh, at my case, at the carrier scenes. But uh, you talked a little bit about rating um, the job your carriers do for you. Can, can you give us a little more information on that and tell drivers What's going on behind the scenes with that brokerage and and uh, how are you rating or ranking the fleets you do work with? Yeah, it's, it's based on the, the actual individual dispatcher and or broker in our system. And therefore, if they have a positive experience, they can give a five-star review, if you will, as well as some commentary. It's too easy to put that person was tough to deal with, never use them again etc but instead we want to know the positive attributes of these carriers that way in your earlier question we can go back and find those particular carriers that we may need on a very crucial piece of business that might be year in year out and so behind the scenes we have that rating system but we also I think that the proof in the pudding is the commentary that perhaps we put in it. Maybe we can copy and paste. They helped out on a particular load that was really hot and they did a good job communicating. Um, you know, we track and trace all our freight. And so the million dollar problem that we initially had was that they wouldn't accept our ping or our, yeah, our, right. our you know, s smartphone yep. uh, ping to them to accept that track and trace we have since evolved uh, a lot because we now have carriers in our system that have the ELDs and so we integrate that way but we still have those folks that again drive down the road 10 hours and think somebody's watching them perhaps and they will actually not accept that ping on being tracked and traced and so that creates a problem because in this day and age, I mean, you and I were dealing with tracking and tracing long before some of the folks that are really young in our company who think it's brand new. Right. Therefore, 
that's one big component. We have to track and trace. It's it's no different the than customer requires you and I, it. Yeah, you and I yeah. waiting for our Christmas present right now. We're tracking and tracing, wondering where it is. Where's that guy in his brown shorts at? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, uh, you know, we were talking some stigmas and stuff, and I'm thinking about this track trace thing and the technology, how far it's come. Uh, I was one of those carriers for many, many years that, you know, we started seeing some of those things come out on the market and such and such brokerage wanted our driver to download this app to his phone. And I, I wasn't on board. I was like, no way, we're not doing that stuff. And, and I've since come along and I understand the purpose behind it because we, we also run a small brokerage too. But, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Again, I'm trying to pull back the curtains and, and, get rid of the perceptions out there that might be uh, out there with the drivers of what's really going on with these apps. Are you watching me all day long? Well, the answer to your last question is no, we're not. You got better things to do or what? We have absolutely (laughs) better things to do. Tracking and tracing in this industry is just something that has to happen. It's, it's, It's maybe not so much the person that's asking me and then I'm asking our dispatcher to do and to send to the carrier or send to the driver. But it's it's perhaps the buyer or it's perhaps the customer service rep that is working for the Target or the Walmart or the... It's the world we live in, right? Right. Yeah. And therefore, they're wondering where it is for the sake of letting Andrew and his wife know where their Christmas presents are. And so... It's by no means one of those that Big Brother's looking down on that driver going to and from. We just, we have to give periodic updates to our customer, just like a carrier that has technology amongst uh, their their truck being tethered and then into their system and then pinged via EDI track and trace. I mean, we do some of that too. And so the answer to that is, heavens no, we're not watching where they're going, what they're doing, how they're doing it. We just want it picked up and delivered. And if it's a three or four day transit, we're probably giving a couple status updates per day to, to see where that truck is trace or that truck is tracking. So would you say the technology has helped with these apps, these mobile apps on the phone and stuff? And has it helped eliminate some of the brokers calling the drivers? Absolutely. We're very mindful. For instance, when, when, when track and trace technology came out and every Tom, Dick and Harry was selling a, a, a location device for where the driver is, there was a lot of opportunity to still text. And I can tell you from ownership on down, we are not having that. We do not want to text our, our drivers at all if we don't have to. We're hoping they're stationary when we do. We're hoping we're talking to them still on the phone a little bit, but we're also hoping that when we send our load offering to them, all that information is in there. But to answer your question in terms of tracking and tracing, we have a lot of friends in the industry that have branched off from being one of the top three yes. tracking and tracing yep. folks in the industry to starting their own. Seems like I get calls every day. Somebody's- Absolutely. New, and new tech out there for sure and those individuals have reached out to us to benchmark some data to help them sell their business and we're, we're pretty we're pretty strong or pretty black and white on 
what needs to happen versus what could potentially happen because you don't want no uh, nuclear verdict out there. Verdict your name where brought you into texted it. a driver <clears throat> while they are moving down the road. You you just don't want that to happen, and therefore we're pretty disciplined on how we utilize both our communication amongst our TMS or our our transportation system as well as the opportunity and all some of the caveats within the tracking and tracing that is out there. We we use four different tracking and tracing devices. It's just which customer is using it which one, or, right. or which driver will accept it. And that goes back to they're all the same, but some people are a little more particular to some of those tracking and tracing software items. We probably have three or four different generations of drivers in the market. Um, are are any particular one of those generations a little less likely to accept some of the technology you're using? Do you find some of them are still kind of old school, or or has everybody kind of come along? They just they get it now. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. Here. <laughs> so I have an uncle who was an over over the road driver for 42 years. Actually, 47 years. I'm sorry, 47 years. And the, the he retired and the company couldn't get rid of him. He wanted to do it part-time. But he is the most non-technological person you'll ever meet in your life. So they kept him local when he retired because he was not willing to jump in on some of that newer technology, as he'd call it, newer technology. Right. Uh, so to answer your question, my mom and dad's age, they they aren't as accepting but it was worlds different when it first came out and nobody wanted to do it. But I think in today's world, everybody's willing to do it. We have a pretty high percentage of acceptance. I mean, we're tackling small digit numbers to get more to do it. But I think when we first started out, Andrew, we were probably tracking and tracing somewhere between 60 and 70% of our freight but we were attempting to do all 100%. And today, like I said, we're in the single digits and that's just due to some anomalies or uh, or uh, some vigilantes out there that just don't wanna accept it. Can you give me a little bit of background on Kirsch and where they started and where they're at today? Yeah, so we are owned by a mother and a son duo, Cam and Matt Kirsch. And like I mentioned earlier, we're a woman, women, women's business enterprise. And they have sharpened their teeth through some of the more interesting times. They started out as working on the asset side, patching tarps, hiring drivers, patching tires, changing tires. And over the course of time, they, they made their way into the dispatch and sales. And at one point in time, they determined that they really wanted to get into having their own piece of business that they could, you know, as they learned to broker freight, which was an arm outside of the actual assets that were moving it, they started their, uh, their own agency. And so they, they developed into being an agent for two different trucking companies, both being flatbed. And over time, they were doing, as we would say, their damnedest to try and put that freight on the trucks that they were the agent for. Very high integrity. And what happened was, 
Cam and Matt, who they are, were developing more business than what the truck count was at the actual trucking company. Yep. And so they determined that they could do this at a higher level, perhaps. And so they started back in 01 and developed an MC and started their brokerage. And a couple, you know, bits of luck, as well as some very, very high integrity, as well as some very, very high determination to get some of the customers that they were chasing. We're talking five and seven years of just nonstop working those particular customers. They started to develop into getting volume from them. And so as the first decade of the 21st century went by, they were able to land some pretty large scale customers. And while I won't necessarily say who the the companies are, some hurricanes took place and that helped them as well because of all the business that goes into the hurricanes. Created opportunity. It created large opportunity. Yeah. And not just because of what goes into and what needs to help patch up after a hurricane, but then some of the source points that they were pulling, these particular customers were pulling from. Matt and Cam did a phenomenal job at building relationships with those particular vendors. And so then the customers turned into the vendors and the vendors turned into larger customers as well. And so over time, you know, into the second decade now of the 21st century, we have we have hired some serious people that come from the asset side that bring the means to developing business, uh, creating the means to successfully be financial, financially sound in transaction, um, carriers, intermodal. Uh, we've brought some of those people from those, you know, parts of the business. And so we've created and and Matt and Cam have created a really, really solid lineup of people that to this day, um, you know, as we as we close out the year, we're gonna be just north of two hundred million in sales and we're gonna move just north of eighty thousand loads. And I was number nine. I was the number nine hire and we now have 107 people and it's been some phenomenal growth just watching and and i still change the toilet paper in the office <laughs> and i also do a lot of other things and so we don't we aren't top heavy by any means and so we are always quickly watching how the ebb and flow of the industry goes and part of our business is lining up, like I said earlier, against carriers and brokers with those larger customers. Uh, we, we roughly have about 10 customers in the Fortune 100, and they really keep us busy, but we really have to watch to make sure we diversify our business out because they can keep us busy, and then what are we gonna do with our other right. 700 customers? Right. So when that kind of growth doesn't happen, if you haven't built a culture and a business you know, with integrity and trust and all those critical elements. Yeah, so that's interest, interesting the way you say that. The, the integrity is what we strive for. But we went through pandemic and we probably sat for two weeks scratching our head, what are we gonna do? But those particular customers that we had, fortunately, of our top 25, top 50, came screaming back because they were relevant. They were quote unquote essential ship shippers. 
But after what's really interesting is we moved a lot of freight during that time. But after pandemic, post-pandemic, we actually watched our compliance with our care our customers go up. We went from you know maybe lower to mid 90 percentiles on events that we get measured on to going into the 96 to 98 percentile and that says a lot about our people because they were very passionate about what they do and making sure stuff picked up and delivered on time and we've tried to carry that into the next year next decade of because at the end of the day that's what our customers want they want service and that has actually separated us a little bit recently with some of our customers. Our conversations have changed. You know, when you're not servicing, you can't have those conversations with customers. It's but a different when, conversation correct. for sure, right? And so when you're servicing at a high level, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot more, uh, it's a nicer conversation. You walk into those meetings feeling pretty good about that if you know where your numbers are at. And you've done a good job servicing that customer. Yeah, that, that is absolutely the case, but we're still pretty humble because it could change in a heartbeat. And that relates back to our people, our carriers, the drivers that do it. And so we need to make sure that we treat them, back to what you said, very, very well in the way we do all this. Subscribe to the podcast now so you don't miss our next episode of Driven Too Far, The Truth About Trucking.